0: Hey guys, welcome to the Doula Diaries. I'm Heidi. I'm the host of the Birth Story podcast, which drops birth story episodes and expert interviews every Thursday. I'm also the author of the Birth Story Pregnancy Guidebook and Journal. It is everything, 529 pages of everything that you need to know to prepare for your birth. You can get that at birthstory.com. And I am also the content creator for Birth Story Academy, where you go for online learning from a virtual doula. You can also get into my private Facebook community through Birth Story Academy. And here on Tuesdays is where we meet for doula diaries. So welcome. Happy Tuesday. Welcome to Doula Diaries, and this week, you guys, I am super sick. I don't know how my voice sounds, but I do not have um, a visit from Aunt Rona. However, I do have the stomach bug and some crazy sinus throat thing going on. So anyway, just wanted to tell you why I sound a little crazy today. What is going on in labor land for my doula Heidi this week is what I wanted to talk about. And that is premature rupture of the membranes. And what do you do when you are at home and your first sign of labor is prom? Oop, my water broke. But in the absence of contractions. This has been the story for this week with my doula Heidi and my partner, um, my work partner Colin would doula differently. So this is, these are two stories. And then we're going to give you some evidence on what to do. Like if I'm, your, if I'm your doula, right? Like I am for these two clients, what are we doing? So let's first define prom. So prom is premature rupture of the membranes. That's when your first sign of labor is your water breaks. Now I've talked about this 1,000 times on the podcast, your water could break because it ruptures, like the bottom of the sac bulges out your cervix a little bit and then that rips open and like all this water just gushes out, gushes out. And it's very obvious. Then you have what's called a high tear or a high leak. And that's when like maybe your cute little baby's foot takes a jab and puts a tiny little tear in the upper part of the amniotic sac, but like all the amniotic fluid is still in there, okay? Well, you're still ruptured. You still have a risk of developing an infection called chorioamnionitis. And this infection is something that the medical community uses often for fear-based mongering of labor management. And the evidence just doesn't support that. So I I want to break it down. Okay, so let's talk about client number 1 this week. She has PROM. It's a high tear. And there is about 6 or 7 hours later there's light meconium, which is your baby's first like poop or bowel movement. Okay. So if you're my dual client, and you're like, I think my water's broken. The first thing I'm going to tell you to do is take off your underwear, walk around, lay down, stand up, lay down, stand up, empty your bladder, do some squats and, and evaluate what's going on. And if it's your amniotic fluid, it's, it's usually sweet smelling, very clear, maybe a little blood tinged or pink and continues to leak out of you down to like your, um, you know, your knee or your ankle. Sometimes it can be gushes that are obvious, but if it's a high tear where it's just kind of spilling out here and there, you may just have a a few tablespoons come out at a time. Put on a white pad or white underwear so you can evaluate the color. So in this particular doula client, it was little yellow, little green. As your doula, meconium is normal. Meconium happens. However, I am not a doctor. And meconium could mean that your baby is in distress. So if I am your doula, I will recommend that you do go to the hospital if you see meconium in your amniotic fluid, meaning it is not just totally clear and sweet smelling. Now, if your water ruptures and it is clear and sweet smelling and you call the sweet little call center, because you think you're calling your doctor's office, but really you're calling a call center, there are some Q words that they hear. One of those Q words is my water broke. That Q word would mean go to the, the hospital right away. Do whatever you want. This podcast is not medical advice. This is just if I'm your doula, what am I going to tell you to do? Call your doctor. Tell them your water's broken. They're going to tell you to come to the hospital. And I'm going to tell you, you have choices. Do you have a fever? Monitor it. Do you feel good? Great. Do you have blurry vision? Go in. Are you bleeding? Go in. But if you're just like, you know, one of one in 13 women who's one out of, yeah, one out of every 13 women, their water breaks first, premature rupture of the membranes. If that happens in your term, 37 weeks on, like it's not an emergency. Just stay home and wait for labor to begin because here's what the data says. The data shows that if your term prom, meaning you're 37 weeks on, your full term, and the first sign of labor is rupture of your membranes, that it can take some time for you to go into labor. So around 80% of people go into labor within 12 hours. So cool, give it about 12 hours, at least at home, as long as your baby's moving good, you feel good, you don't have a fever, you've told your doctor your, or your midwife your water is broken, 80% of you guys are going to go into labor within 12 hours. 95% of you guys are going to go into labor within 24 hours. And if you're a first time birthing person, it usually takes longer, like closer to the 24 hour mark than the 12 hour mark. And it can go even longer. I had a client who was a VBAC, water ruptured. She didn't go into labor for 48 hours. Okay. So it can take some time. Now, if you were to go straight to the hospital, the two things that they usually talk to you about are expectant management, which is the recommendation of your preterm. So if you were like 35 or 36 weeks, it's like, don't. Intervene. So expectant management is don't intervene. Just, you know, watch the baby, watch the mom take vitals, that kind of thing. Wait to see how long it will take for the body to go into labor on its own. Expectant management. Then there's induction right? So then if your water breaks and you go to the hospital, they can start an induction with pitocin, with like prostaglandins. There's like a prostaglandin gel, there's side attack. I mean, there's different things that they can do, right? So you could be induced. I don't know what's right for you, your body, your family's choices, your culture, your preferences. And I don't know what your GBS status is, okay? So if you're GBS positive, like you've got two things going on, like the risk of a GBS infection to the baby and the risk of developing chorioamnionitis, sometimes called chorio, and that's like the infection around the um, membranes, like the placenta and the amniotic fluid in the baby. So that risk of getting choreo goes up after about 24 hours of your water being broken. Same with GBS. Your risk goes up of your baby getting GBS, I guess, the longer that your water is broken. So here you are at home, your water just broke. I'm your doula and I'm like, okay, number one, is it clear? Is it sweet? Are you a first-time birthing person? Okay, we're not having contractions. Reminder, the data shows... 80% of you guys are going to go into labor within 12 hours. 95% of you guys are going to go into labor within 24 hours. Now, there was a study that was done, Hannah et al., okay? It was called Term Prom, and in this study, they divided people just like you, whose water broke prematurely, like meaning before they were in labor, And they did a couple things with them. They induced them with Pitocin. Then some of them got induced with a prostaglandin. And then some of them had expectant management doing, you know, we're just chilling. We're not doing anything for up to four days, you guys, up to four days. And then if they, guess they still weren't in labor at four days, they induced them with Pitocin or prostaglandin. Here is what we found. We, I was not part of this clinical trial. Here is what... Hannah et al. and the team on that study found. They found that, guess what? There was no difference in cesarean rates. There was no difference in newborn infection rates between the induction group and expectant management. I I don't know how many times I would have to say that to a doctor or a midwife at the hospital. There is no difference in cesarean rates or newborn infection rates When the meconium is not present, but it's just clear fluid that smells sweet and water breaks preterm on whether you induce or you do expectant management. The only difference was the increase in the risk of getting the infection chorioamnionitis. Chorio. Okay, that's that that infection or that inflammation in the membranes. That causes a, a fever in the mom. That can cause um, tachycardia or a fever in the baby. Um, tachycardia is like when the baby's heart rate is high. It can cause the maternal heart rate to be high. It can cause your uterus. Like, think about how you feel when you have a fever. You kind of feel like doo-doo. You don't want to do anything. Your uterus feels the same way when it has a fever in there. It just doesn't contract as effectively, which could lead to postpartum hemorrhage and other things, right? So these are the things you need to talk to your provider about if you experience PROM. Please do not be coerced into an induction, right? So we do know that there is an 8.6% chance of developing choreo if you do nothing, expectant management. Okay, there's a 92% chance you're not going to get choreo. And then there's a 4% chance of getting choreo if they induce right away. Okay, still, so 96% chance of not getting it versus 98% chance of not getting it, no matter what you do. Very low, this is very low percentages, you guys. But what I want you to hear is that getting choreo has not been associated in at least the study, Hannah at all, term prom, with any difference in your chance of having a cesarean section or your newborn having an infection. Just not true. So the um there's this big Cochrane review that also looks at the research. And it it's very clear that they say regardless of if you have that induction or you have expectant management and you wait for labor to begin that um, there's no difference in these two things. Now, what changes that? Vaginal exams. So if your provider, say you go to the hospital, let's say we go in, like your water breaks and you're like, well, I just want to check on the baby and I go in and you can always sign AMA. Like if baby looks great, you can just leave and go back home and sign AMA against medical advice and come back in a couple hours, 12 hours, 24 hours when your labor starts. Or you can stay, And be monitored intermittently or, you know, um, continuously, whatever works for you and your body. But no vaginal exams, y'all. No vaginal exams or very limited. Because if a provider is saying to you, I want to induce you because your risk of chorioamnionitis and I also want to put my hands in your vagina and give you a vaginal exam, those two things are opposite of each other. Vaginal exams increase your chance of getting chorioamnionitis. Not getting a vaginal exam decreases your chance of getting chorioamnionitis. Just like they will tell you, getting induced decreases your chances of getting chorio. So, how about we, how about we don't do vaginal exams if your water is broken? That is the takeaway from this. So, anyway, I have a client right now. Unfortunately, I'm not with her, which is why I'm recording this on Tuesday because I'm sick and she has COVID. So the hospital actually won't let me be there. So I'm coaching her virtually and she is a first time birthing person. She had premature rupture of the membranes Um, because she's COVID positive. We did send her to the hospital right away because there's not a lot of great data on when a baby is positive for COVID potentially, like how they tolerate labor So the baby was being continuously monitored the last 24 hours. She went into labor at about, let's say active labor, about 18 hours. So right in the middle of those percentages I was talking to you about. But let me tell you what happened to her on minute one of arriving at the hospital. Those providers came in hot, 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 hot. And they are some of like the providers that I love and respect the most. Some may even say I decided to birth with them. So I was really kind of confused on them coming in so hot to induce her. But eventually she pushed back. She talked about the data from ACOG and Hannah et al. That I am referencing. I gave her all of the tools as her doula. Gave her positions. She drank a castor oil smoothie. Uh, with the midwives brew in it, which comes directly from her midwives, that recipe. So that kind of helped get things along. She started pumping with a breast pump 15 minutes on and 15 minutes off. She squatted. She did squats and walked. And then she rested and slept. These are things that you can do alternately if you are at the hospital, if I was your doula, that I would tell you to do. Don't freak out, especially if there's no meconium, if your water breaks. One Out of every 13 of you guys, put 13 of you guys and stand you against a wall, one of you, your water is going to rupture as your first sign of labor. And I cannot drill this home enough. So I'm going to say it again. 80% of you will go into labor within 12 hours. 95% of you guys will go into labor within 24 hours. It can take longer than that if you are a first-time birthing person. It can take up to 48 hours but there's no difference in your chance of having a cesarean section or your newborn getting an infection. Again, this is irrelevant of GBS status. So GBS wasn't included in this study. So let's say you're GBS negative when I'm talking to you about this. You have a slight increase of developing chorioamnionitis over four days if you are not induced, right? So again, 4% versus like 8, 8.5%. I want you to think about that when you are deciding what's right for your body. Maybe you are like, let's just get this over with. I don't want to get choreo, right? Start your induction. But if you are a hypnobirthing, I want an unmedicated birth, like you may want to consider expectant management, which is waiting and giving your body time. Okay. All that to be said, I love you guys. I'm sorry. I feel like doo-doo. And um, I was going to read you one last thing, and it's about Birth Story Academy. I'm so excited that my online course is here and that you guys are taking it. And our very first birth story baby was born, and she sent me this note. So she took Birth Story Academy, and she sent me this note afterwards. Thank you so much, Heidi. I ended up having my most healing and transformative birth. It felt like the equivalent of the emotional roller coaster of the entire pandemic packed into 24 hours. But so much of what I've learned from you in the past months alone helped me to, number one, advocate for myself in the birth I needed. Number two, weigh the risks and benefits of each choice we had, even though they weren't always presented as choices. And number three, understand how far along I was when I asked for my single cervical check because I knew what effacement meant thanks to your podcast and Birth Story Academy. I didn't feel discouraged at two centimeters dilated. And in fact, I birthed my baby just two hours after that cervical check. All that to say, Thank you for putting all of your knowledge, pure love, and empowering education into birth story media. I can't begin to tell you what a difference it made for me. What you are doing is invaluable. Thank you. I would love for you listening to this podcast to be part of Birth Story Academy and let me take it further than this podcast with you. I would love to be your teacher and your guide. I would love to have you in my private Facebook community and I would love to share Birth Story Academy. It is premier online childbirth education that I poured my heart and soul into and it is very neutral. So it is not all about unmedicated. It is not all about medicated. It is geared to those of you that are birthing in the hospital that may or may not be interested in medical interventions or may or may not find yourself needing medical interventions, even when that wasn't part of your birth plan. I walk you through all the hospital policies and procedures, and I help you prepare, be educated and empowered for the birth that you want, no matter what it looks like. So I hope I'll see you in Birth Story Academy. Stick around on Thursday for a brand new birth story. Hey guys, I recently went disc golfing with my youngest son, Jagger, who as I record this is six years old. So that means four years ago, he was diagnosed with cerebral palsy from a birth injury. And I wanted to come to you with my story because I can't go backwards. So if you haven't listened to episode 88, where I talked to CEO Catherine Cross from Anja Health about cord blood and tissue banking. You see, her brother had cerebral palsy too, and we really bonded about how her brother and my child, their lives could be completely different if they had access to stem cells from cord blood and tissue banking. When I was pregnant with Jagger, it was a simple question in a brochure like, hey, do you want to do public or private cord blood banking? And no one explained it to me. As I watched Jagger play disc golf and switch from his right hand to his left hand and watched him kind of limp through the course, I thought I would have paid any amount of money to have had the opportunity to have my child have a stem cell transplant from cord blood That I had saved from his birth. $35 a month and I may not be watching my kid have to switch arms on the disc golf course. So I hope you will go to angiehealth.com and consider cord blood and tissue banking because we just don't know. This policy that you have to decide on in advance and we can't work backwards. If there's a birth injury, if your child has leukemia or any of the other 85 diseases that are FDA approved, that stem cells from cord blood and tissue banking can help dramatically save or change your child's life.